time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Are you liking desperation so far? Sweet, sweet. Well, I am glad you're here. My name is Tom Davis. Uh, I have the privilege to lead an organization called Children's Hope Chest. I'll tell you a little bit more about that. But primarily what we do is we really try to help the least of these, the poorest of the poor, kids who, orphans who have no chance unless somebody comes alongside of them and does something to help them. We do brothel rescues, getting girls out of horrible situations. We drill wells, we build schools, all of that. But this morning I wanted to um, talk to you guys about The kingdom of God. Because I tell you what, in everything that you're talking about, and I was listening to Brady's message this morning about being disappointed with God and and how that works. And I mean, we've all been there before. But I am telling you, if you get what I'm going to talk to you about this morning, because it's not just about the bigger concept of, of here's what God's doing in the world. It's what God is doing in you. And how he wants to use you to make radical, unbelievable changes and transformations in the world. And I am a firm believer, I believe with everything within me, that if you would get this and say, okay, God, that's great what you're doing, what Tom's doing, what Brady's doing, but I want to hear your voice for what you're doing for me. Right now, at this point in my life, it'll change everything. And then I'm going to show you a couple videos. One's going to freak you out a little bit. Is that okay? Yeah, I know. You guys kind of like that stuff. But because I want to bring the gravity of some of these issues in this situation so you see how desperately you're needed in the world. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. How many of you guys are camping out? A few of you. The brave ones. I, I camped out uh, last desperation with my two boys. We kind of cheated. We had a nice camper we borrowed from a friend. Anybody in tents? Like real tense, yeah. That's roughing it. That's that's the way to do it. Yeah, we used to. Um, I was a youth pastor in Texas. Anybody from Texas? See, Texas people are always real excited about their state. Very very proud. Um, anybody from Oklahoma? Florida. Florida people too. Colorado. <laughs> We'll have a contest to see who's more pumped up about their state. Um, So um, this verse, now I I want you to to imagine this for a second. How many of you guys have ever lost something really important to you? Really important to you. What was it? A girl? No, man, that's fleeting. Uh, uh, What have you lost that's really important to you? Last time somebody said a, a TV channel changer. Don't say that. Don't say that. Something really important. Your wallet. Your what? Your purity ring. It's important. Wallet's important. Especially if you got mom or dad's credit card. Yes? Reese? Oh, iPod. Oh, iPod. Anybody ever lost an iPhone? Yeah, that's, that's danger. Danger. You know what I love about Jesus and some of the parables that he talks about is he tries to take things that are real, what we're really going through, and apply them to something significant, spiritual, and eternal. And so in these verses, he's going to do exactly that. He's going to talk about what would it look like 
to lose something that was really, really precious to you. Something that, I mean, you wouldn't know what to do without. Now, it is a little sad that in our culture that that is an iPod or an iPhone or, uh, or any iPhone users. Raise your hand. Droid. 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 See, we, we live our lives by, by these technological gadgets, right? And everything that we have is in it. And if we don't know what to do, if we lose the thing, we go out of our mind. But I want you to imagine something even more special than that. Something that was really, really valuable. Something that, that literally, if you lost, you don't know how you'd make it. I mean, this is something you cannot replace. Jesus uses that as an example. And the other thing he uses as an example is, I want you to imagine this. Um, how many of you, liked, uh, you like going barefoot? Like going barefoot? All right. Uh, I go to South Africa a lot, and I don't think that they buy shoes there. Because everybody, anybody been to South Africa? Everybody goes in their barefoot everywhere. But have you ever been running somewhere, like you were on a beach or in a field or doing something, and you were, you were flying through the field, and you didn't really notice what was going on, and you hit a rock or something and stubbed your toe? You know what? I used to like, do that and, and cut the, the top of my toe off. You know what I mean? Where you got that flappy skin. Oh, oh, it's pain. There's nothing worse than toe pain. Right? When I was dating my wife, um, yeah, guys, don't ever do this. Um, See, I have a space problem, and I like, and I just always, when I'm talking to people, I'm like right in their, right in their face, and I, I don't know why. Maybe because I didn't have enough, you know, FaceTime as a kid. But, but, but I, would, I would always talk like that, and one time, and we were actually uh, at, at, a, at youth group, and I was with my wife, and I was talking to her, and I was getting so excited, I accidentally kicked her. She had flip-flops on, and I kicked her toenail off. And it, it, it was literally sticking straight up in the air. Now, if you're trying to make an impression... That is not the way to do it. And she still reminds me to this day and tells the story about how I kicked her toenail off. That toenail has never quite been the same. Yeah. Praise the Lord. So anyway, so imagine that you are running through a field, right? You're barefoot and, and, and it's, it's busy. It's on a street corner, but it's an empty field. And you're running, you're flying through there and you hit something like a rock and it slices your toe like that, and you're writhing in pain. You're on the ground, and you're like, oh, man, what, what was it that I hit? And you turn around, and you look, and you see something sparkling. And you kind of, you know, slowly crawl over to it, because now your heartbeat is in your toe, right? And, and you're looking at it, and you're like, man, what, what is that? And to you, it looks exactly like gold. Exactly like gold. Now, you've never seen a huge rock of gold like this before, but, I mean, you're pretty sure this isn't fool's gold. And you start digging around, and you start to realize that this thing goes down. It literally looks like a vein of gold. How excited would you be? Anybody be excited about that? So now you're going to start plotting. How can I get this out of here? But, I mean, there's people everywhere. It's busy. And you notice that there is a for sale sign on the corner, and it says, for sale, cash only. For sale, cash only. And you are... 99% sure that this is gold. You scrape a little off. You take it to a friend of yours who is in the the gold business. You know, one of those guys who says, buy gold everywhere. He looks under a microphone. He tells you, "This this is real gold. Where'd you get it? Now you're really freaking out, right? And you call this number on the for sale cash only sign. And it's, they tell you, you know what? Yeah, that, that lot's for sale and you can buy it for $100,000. $100,000. Now you're starting to calculate going, Wait a minute, this thing was that big. There are probably pounds of gold that would be worth tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe it even goes deeper and it is a vein, maybe millions of dollars. What would you do 
to sell everything you have and try to buy that field? Would you do it? Would you go to any length? Would you be pretty creative with how you figured out how to actually come up with a lot of money, beg, borrow, steal, sell the iPad, sell the iPhone, sell all the stuff that's important to you, right? Would you do it? Who would do it? Man, I I mean, I would do it. If it's gold and you knew you were going to make money on it, you would probably be willing to sell everything you have to obtain this treasure. Well, see, this is what Jesus is getting to here in this parable of the hidden treasure and the lost pearl. Let's read it. Matthew 13, starting in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, or a woman, he hid it again and went, and then in his joy, went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. All right, Jesus now is going to make parallels to the kingdom of God and what its value is. Now, I want you to think about this for a second because for many of us and in our culture, see, here, what are we told is valuable in our world? What are we told? What's of value? Image, pleasure, your body, what? Power, cars, iPods, money, right? All of these things that we are told are important. They're the most valuable things in our society. We live in what's called a consumeristic society. We are driven by consumerism. This is no secret. This is how advertising companies, this is how people who design clothing, who design iPods, your best friend Apple, are masters of this, right? As soon as you get the brand new thing that's out on the, on the, uh, the Apple product, what happens? Oh man, sorry you got the old model. You can't even have the thing for six months without it being out of date. And we are told that this is what's valuable. And so what you see is that people spend lots of money, lots of time, lots of effort on all of the things that society tells them is valuable. If you look at the parables of Jesus, now I'm talking about people who really want to follow Jesus here. You really want to get this, you really want to understand it. Jesus tells you that what's important is the exact opposite of what the world tells you is important. He is giving an an idea of the kingdom of God. When you find the kingdom of God, now this doesn't just mean that you find Jesus and you accept him into your life. That's great. We all need to do that. But that's not what he's talking about. He is talking about a way of living that starts to happen at the point that Jesus Christ comes into your life. And he's talking, you know, kingdom means a kingdom. It's the reign and the rule in which God lives in. And what's cool is that he invites you into it. He invites me into it. And you have the opportunity. See, you don't, we've been taught that this Christianity, like, well, that's great. And then, you know, we're going to live forever and ever with Jesus in the clouds, right? Wherever that is. But the reality is that the kingdom begins right now. That God has things for you to do right now. He has ways that you can make impacts in the world, that you can rescue people, that you can make huge differences in eternity right now if you know who you are. And he says, it's so valuable understanding this. Understanding the kingdom is so valuable that any possession that you have is like dirt compared to the knowledge of who you are in the kingdom. It's got incredible value. It's, it's intense. It's amazing. There's nothing that can replace it. There's nothing this world has that can touch it. But most people never live in it. it it's kind of like this. How many of you guys have seen Lord of the Rings? All right. Lord of the Rings is one of my favorite movies, right? 
And Lord of the Rings illustrates this because here you have all of the hairy, short people with big ears called what? Hobbits. Called hobbits. Now the hobbits are sitting around doing their thing, right, with all the stuff that they do, and it pretty much all has to do with the Shire. And all of a sudden, here comes this gray bearded dude named Gandalf. Gandalf. You guys, man, you guys are such good movie culture people. And Gandalf changes everyone's life because he, he tells them there's a whole world out there to live for that you have no idea what's going on. There's a war going on. There's things that are happening. The end of our world is going to be at hand. And everyone's living fat and happy in the Shire, right? Thinking this is it. This is all we do. Smoke our pipe weed or whatever they call that stuff. Uh, and, and just have a good time. Play music, that's it. That's like most of our world. That's like most Christians a lot of times. Is that here's this whole world out there going on with things and, and you have a place and a role and there's a war and, and there's stuff happening and it's exciting and it's an adventure. And yet everyone's just sitting around living in the Shire. They don't get that there's more happening in the world. There's more to this life. Now, one of the things that you start to see Jesus talk about over and over, and it starts in the Old Testament, is that he has a huge heart for the world And his plan is always, when there's a crisis, when there's a need, which is always happening, right? Because, again, we're in the middle of a war between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of of darkness, is that he always drops people, men, women, boys, girls, right in the middle of situations and gives them unbelievable ability beyond themselves to enact what he wants them to do in their kingdom to make huge transformation and huge differences. You can see this with almost anybody in the Bible, right? He used 12 men to turn the world upside down. He used a, a woman named Ruth, a woman named Esther, right at the time when, when, some, when God needed somebody to transform nations, literally. He used Abraham, he used Isaac, he used Jacob. I mean, you could go on and on with the number of people. God's plan is always a human being. And so when you talk about all these issues in the world, and you see all these things that are happening, the solution to that is you and I. It's the dreams that God puts in our heart. Are you in touch with the dreams that God's put in your heart? Do you know who you are? Do you know what God wants you to do, how he wants you to live? When you, when you start to look at the gospel with a new pair of eyes, right, you start to see things differently. Uh, in um, Mark 8, Jesus does this incredible miracle where he spits in this guy's eye. And because I have, I have lots of kids, so we adopted two kids from Russia, and then we have five children at home. Um, I've, I've watched every movie known to man, like every kid's movie you can imagine. I, I used to go nuts because in my sleep I would hear VeggieTales song. I mean, you know Larry the Cucumber, the bald dude who sings Where's My Hairbrush? All the time I'm hearing this song. So we watch all these movies, and one of them we watched was, um, uh, was the Spiderwick Chronicles. You ever seen that one? Spiderwick Chronicles. Okay, so there's this character, and basically the plot in the movie, I won't give it away, okay, no spoiler alerts, but there's this world that you can't see except through a seeing stone. So again, same concept, same principle, which I find amazing that here are all these secular movies always talking about that there's a world out there that we can't see with our eyes. Right, which is exactly what the Bible teaches. There's a whole world going on. There's stuff happening that you, most people are totally oblivious of and that a few people really get it. And so they're looking through this, this seeing stone and that's how they see all these goblins and trolls and this whole battle that's going on out there until they meet this character named Hogsqueal. Hogsqueal is a really ugly pig-looking guy and he rears back. He has a, an incredible gift, an incredible talent. You know, if I had this talent to help you see the kingdom of God, I just might do it. Here's what he does. He rears back and he clears his throat and he just hocks a loogie right in their eyes. And of course it's disgusting and it's hanging off of them and it's gross. 
But when, they, when it's removed from their eyes, all of a sudden they can see. They don't need the seeing stone anymore. They can see the world like it really is. And that's what Jesus does with parables. Parables are open doors into the eternal, open doors into the kingdom of God. You, you thought you were supposed to live like this, but I'm telling you, no, you live like this. You thought this was what the world about, but it was world about. But no, I'm going to give you prayer and power and the ability to transform things in my name that you had no idea. I'm going to give you all of my resources in heaven coming down into your life so you can be a world changer. But most of us just sit in the shire. One of the things you see over and over in the scripture, one of the key components of those who are engaged in the kingdom of God is that they have a heart for justice. They have a heart for the least of these. When people are suffering, when people are, are needing help, that, that, that's God's heart. Here's how some scriptures put it. James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion is taking care of widows and orphans in their distress. Isaiah 61, which was later Jesus talked about in Luke 4, when he said, this scripture has been fulfilled in your midst. He got up and he read it. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he gave out his role and the role of his followers, what it would look like. For he's anointed me to preach the gospel. That's where we stop most of the time. We think it's just about preaching the gospel. That's one component. He's also anointed me and you to set the captive free, to set those who are bound and in prison, to release the captive, release the prisoner, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, restoration of all things. So orphans, widows, all these issues, that's stuff that God has a huge heart for. So much so that you see in Matthew 25 that when he's talking about the things that you could live most importantly for in your life that make the most difference in eternity, he says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to drink. Thirsty, hungry, you gave me something to eat. Thirsty, you gave me something to drink. Naked and you clothed me. God cares about the least of these. It's pure and undefiled religion. He wants us to be engaged. He wants us to be involved. Now let me tell you what's going on in the world. Um, I was, I was a youth pastor, and I was sitting around in Dallas, as I said, and, I mean, we had a great youth group. We were doing awesome stuff, but I had, I started, I was doing my master's in theology, I started to see all these verses. There's over 4,000 verses that talk about poverty and justice. Did you know that? Poverty and justice. And I thought, you know what, we're, we're happy, we're doing all these things, but I'm starting to hear that there's kids who are dying because they don't have enough food to eat. The UN says there's over 15,000 children who die every day because they don't have food under the age of five. Now, I just read another article on a financial uh, website that says that Americans throw away over 90 billion pounds of food every year. We could feed the world off of the crumbs on our table, yet 15,000 children die every day of starvation. How about clean water issues? Over a billion people don't have clean water. Diarrhea is a, is a disease that kills millions of kids a year, and it comes from waterborne diseases. There are things that you will get, and I've seen this over and over in Africa, where they don't have water, so they, they walk five, five miles or so. They go and they scoop out in this, in this creek where cows are there and animals, and they're doing their business in the water. They scoop out this water, and that's the water they drink. They'll get things called kidney flukes, liver flukes, hookworms, which literally eat them from the inside out. Now, why I'm telling you this is because Jesus cares about these issues, Right? When the Bible says God loves the whole world, that means that he doesn't just love us, even though it's a very you know, closed context here in the United States, but there are people who are struggling, there are people in need, there are people who are suffering in poverty, and the only way that God's kingdom comes to them on earth is through you. It's through you getting it. It's through you going, God, how can you use me? What can you do to help me get engaged in these eternal issues so that I can realize there's a war going on out there and I can be a part of what you're doing? 
That the kingdom becomes so valuable to me that it's worth me selling everything and just following you. And it's not just in Africa, it's not just in Russia. You can do it right here. There's people who are struggling, there's people who are in need, there's people in your schools who are broken. And they just need somebody to come alongside and, and be with them and be a friend and encourage them. What about this? The UN says over 1.2 million children, children will be pulled into the sex trade every single year. Every single year. 300,000, by the way, on the streets of the United States of America. These are kids, and I'm going to show you this video, because these girls, this, what, what you're going to see, what you're going to hear is in their own words, and it happened to them when they were your age. And here's what I want you to do as you're watching this, because these issues aren't just issues that are disconnected from us. They are issues that we can make a difference in. They are issues we can make a huge difference in. Is I want you to, to first of all, take off your normal glasses that you see the world through, and I want you to see the world through a different pair of lenses. I want you to see how Jesus sees little girls, little boys, other teenagers, other people in, a, in other places who are born in a, in a different world with not as much opportunity as us. See, what we do is we get up, we get in the shower, we turn it on, it's clean, it's hot. We have no concept of the fact that somebody will drink a glass of dirty water and it'll kill them within 12 months. I mean, and... The thing is, is that the hope of the world, that things that God calls us to, we are that hope to change and transform those situations. But this trafficking issue has been something that, that, that is incredibly on the hearts of other people. It's almost like you can see God moving and doing something to, you know, say, hey, you know what, you can make a difference in this. And you're starting to see young people your age starting to start organizations, get involved with organizations to make massive movements. That's what heart work is about. You're going to hear more about that throughout Desperation, how you can get involved, how you can connect, because what we're doing here is not just talking about these issues. At the end, we're going to make it real easy so that you can actually do something significant. Rescue a girl out of a brothel. Provide an education so, so that your youth group can, your Sunday school can, so they don't ever have to get in those situations. But I want to show you this because these, this is real stories of four girls who, no fault of their own, ended up in a, a, a Russian orphanage. Their parents died, abandoned them, whatever the story was. They were kicked out at 15 to 16 because that's what happens to them. They had nowhere else to go. They had nowhere else, they had nobody to care for them, no one to warn them of the dangers that were out there. And this is their story about what their life was like, and what they had to go through. Watch this with me. Они меня начали спрашивать, чем занимаешься, как работаешь, как что делаешь, как с финансами. Они мне стали предлагать большие деньги. Хочешь большие деньги? Потом они уже мне сказали, ну мы это чисто для сирот предлагаем, что сироты могут заработать большие деньги. Я, конечно, думал, нормальная профессия, но когда они мне сказали, это проституты, то есть за ночь семь мужчин, и там какая-то сумма. Я очень-очень так переволновалась. Почему-то они говорят все время, что это сиротам предлагают.
Я пошла к нему как бы денег просить. Я говорю, я отработаю, ну говорю, когда на работу стану, на работу, ну там на завод или еще куда-нибудь, я тебя отработаю, я тебе их отдам. И он мне говорит, типа, не надо, бери так, типа, ну вот так вот. Ой. И тут на второй день, как бы, ну, они меня опять приглашают в сауну, вот эти пацаны. И сказали мне, что ты тут просто так сидишь с нами? Иди работай, работай с проституткой. Я говорю, да не, не, все нормально, говорю, это вроде сейчас на работу буду устанавливаться. И получается так, что они поняли по ходу дела, что я от них сваливаю. И они меня с 5 утра где-то до 11 били. Потом там на топор ложили, помню, на бревно. В детском доме, то есть мы вообще нигде не расставались. Гуляли всегда вместе в детском доме. Вместе спали, вместе сдвинутой кровати. Ну, везде вместе. Потом она уехала, все, как связь прорвалась. Лучше даже не виделись. Во-первых, узнала недавно, где-то недели две назад, только в фонде мне кто-то сказал. Не знаю, неприятность такая. Очень жаль, что все равно мы с ней так дальше не пообщались. Не знаю. Lena in 2000. She was still back at the orphanage. She's from Faminki Orphanage. It's an orphanage for kids with special needs. She was a happy girl, but unfortunately she was texting different guys she didn't even know, and we were worried, and we tried to talk to her about it, that she shouldn't be doing it. She shouldn't get involved with people she didn't know, and then we found out that she even started dating some of them.
Next thing we know, we get a phone call from the police station telling us that she was found dead. She was found in the wintertime and she was frozen. She was only 21 years old. Я до сих пор хожу в этот центр, фонд. Мало ли какие у меня ситуации, проблемы. Я обращаюсь только сюда. Спасибо, что он есть. Чтобы ну, ничего не было. Поэтому... Когда у меня это случилось, ну, я узнал про фонд. Ну, я, в принципе, так-так знал про фонд давно, но на тот момент мне на самом деле некуда было идти. Поддержка была нужна психологическая, такая вроде. И вот я сюда ходила, ну, здесь помогли мне очень хорошо смириться с тем, что такого, ну, чтобы такого больше не было. И вроде как бы это, ну, вот так все. Just in case you think this is an, <clears throat> a few isolated events, a few isolated stories, it's actually the second biggest business in the world, this industry. Your generation will be the ones who define themselves by transforming this or be overcome by it. By 2011, the UN says it'll be, this will be number one. Number one. Number one right now is drugs. We live in a world where the biggest businesses in the world are horrendous things like drugs and sex slaves. What does God think about that? What does God have to say about that? When you're talking millions and millions of people in a society where literally in Russia, when I, why I went to Russia the first time is because I found that over 60% of the girls who came out of these situations ended up having these same stories. And what happens is, I'll tell you, it's very slick. It's not like what you'd think. It's that there are these professional-looking people. They're dressed up. They have lots of money. Because, again, it's a huge business, multi-billions of dollars of business. And they go and they find these kids either in the tech schools, which is what you saw in the beginning, or they put ads in newspapers like crazy. Hey, how would you like? Now, remember, these are in countries that they could make $100 a month, $200 a month. That would be a ton of money to them. How would you like to make $2,000, $3,000 a month to be a model? You're a beautiful girl. You're a young man. How would you like to, to actually go and, and, and be a, a, a we'll, we'll, we'll have you be a sports agent. They do this in Africa. They tell them, uh, not an agent, but a sports star. They'll take them places for soccer, and they'll pull them into this. And they're real nice. They pay for everything for them, give them new clothes, buy their plane tickets. And when they get there, that's when that nightmare begins. But see, what I want you guys to know is that I don't want you just to get into statistics. I want you to see there's a life behind every one of those. 
There's a story behind every one of those, of those statistics. There's a life that God created that he knows all the hairs on their head. He knows everything intimately about them. And the only difference between you and them is that you were born where you were and they were born where they were. And they had a horrible thing happen to them and they ended up in an orphanage. That's the only difference. Those are justice issues. right? These thousands of verses I'm talking about about justice, that's what that is. That's a justice issue. It's issues that God requires us to be involved in. Um, by the way, uh, I, I was so moved by some of the stories. I, I wrote a couple books about this. These two are, are fiction. This one is priceless. This one is scared. This is about a girl who was trafficked. Um, scared is about a girl who grows up in Africa. Both parents die of AIDS, which is a very, very horrible problem. It's prevalent. It's all over the place. And then two nonfiction books about why this is all so important. Who likes to read fiction? Um, sorry, it's a little dark. I probably shouldn't have done that. Lights up, please. Uh, just so you know, I have a very limited number of books here um, that I, because I always, when I come to these events, I like to sell them to you guys for five bucks. So if you just, I don't have change. So if, if you, they're there until they're gone. They're also available in the bookstore, but they're 15, but five here. And, and so anyway, I wanted to write the stories of these kids to tell what we could do, how we could be involved. You know, if there's one thing that God cares majorly about, biblically, it's justice. Justice means, like for an example, in Micah 6.8, when there's all these problems going on in Israel, and God says, the one thing I require of you, one thing, is to act justly. Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. What does it mean to act justly? Does it mean that you put a, a, a badge, a, a cause, you create a cause on Facebook? Put a badge on your blog, a bumper sticker? No. It means that you yourself are actively involved in issues of justice. What are justice issues? It means that when you see something that's wrong and you can do something to make it right, that's to act justly. Does that make sense? That means, hey, I can make some small adjustments in my life maybe. Like for example, 15,000 kids starving every day in Africa. For $5 a month, we can provide food, life-saving food to kids in Swaziland, Africa. Five bucks for an entire month. So if you can give up a Starbucks coffee, like a caramel frappuccino, once a month, you can help make a life-saving difference. What about like issues that, that, that are like, like, like trafficking, like the same thing? We can rescue girls, other organizations like ours. It's not that it can't be done. It's that there's too few people involved. And so justice is when you know something and you hear about it and you can do something to make a difference, that's to act justly. I'll tell you what God says about it, and this is as clear as it can possibly be. You want to know how strongly God feels about it, how strongly he feels about you being engaged in it? Amos 5, verse 21 through 24. This is in the Message Bible. Same deal here, where the Israelites thought their blessings were for themselves. They had all these wonderful things, but they had missed the most important part of justice. Here's what he says. I can't, this is coming from God through the prophet, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and your conventions. Isn't that a great verse to read at a youth conference? I mean, hear what God's saying. He's not saying that, that the conference is wrong, right? He's not saying that, that the religious meeting is wrong. He's saying that the fruit of it is all messed up. Because you think it's all about you. You think it's about me blessing you so that you can do this and that. And it becomes about, that's not the point. God does love us. He wants to do things with us. But he wants us engaged in his kingdom. Listen to how he keeps going. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. 
I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want, and that's all that I want. You think God's serious about justice issues? I mean, he's incredibly serious about it. There's a, there's a quote by a guy named Edmund Burke, and I, I love this quote. He says, the definition of evil in the world is when good men and women see injustice and do nothing. They hear about the cries of their neighbor, people who are suffering, struggling, right in their own communities. A, a single mom who, who doesn't have enough food to put on the table, and they're unmoved. A widow stuck in a, a nursing home when just a visit maybe every few weeks would make all the difference in their world, but to not care about them, they dry up their heart. That, that's begetting the problem. When you hear about kids who are starving to death and it doesn't move you, you've lost what it means to live the gospel. Because if there's one thing that Jesus was, he was compassion. Compassion. We've got to be compassionate people. I'll give you another example. If you knew there was a little girl right outside the doors of this church who was drowning in a pond, and you had the ability to run out here and save her life, would you do it? Absolutely, that's justice, right? You have the ability to make a difference, you do something to make a difference. What about if she was 20 miles away? 20 miles away, someone calls you, I need help, I've, I, I can't save her on my own, I've got the rope, but I need you to help me, there's a current, and I, I, I just, I need help, would you do it? What if she was 8,000 miles away? She's living in a different place, a different land, but you knew that the little that you could do, you could do something to make a difference. Literally the difference between life and death. Would you make that difference? You see, I don't know this morning what God's putting on your heart. What I do know, because I've seen this happen so many times, is that this generation, your generation, gets this stuff. You will be the generation that completely eradicates malaria. Millions of people who are dying from death by mosquito bite, medicines less than five bucks. You'll eradicate that in your generation. I believe you'll, you'll make a huge impact and could almost eliminate world hunger, your generation. It's, just, it's something the Spirit of God is doing, is moving in you, because you get this stuff. You go, this isn't right. You, show me. I'll, I'll do whatever. I'll go wherever. Uh, I have a friend named Katie Davis, and no, no relation to me, Tom Davis, but um, she was your age when she started to hear about what was going on in Africa. She was like, this, people drinking dirty water, dying by the millions, no education. She moved there. Her parents thought she was nuts. Now, don't go tell your parents that Tom Davis told you to move to Africa at 16 years old. All right, she waited until she graduated high school, but she had such a burden for this, such an incredible just heart for this, that, that she moved there. She is now about 20 years old. She adopted 14 kids. She cares for over 400. She's coming out with her first book. She was on NPR the other day. National Public Radio. She's being interviewed by some of the biggest radio players. Not, not, not that this is about her, but it's about that she got a vision from God and she wanted to live justly and she did what she could to make a difference. See, what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt is that you are the hope of the world. I told you earlier, when God has a problem, he calls people. The question is, are you listening? I call it your kingdom assignment. Do you know what your kingdom assignment is? I mean, even as I'm talking, there are probably some things really burning on your heart. It's like just something that's just like, is making you, you just righteously indignant that stuff like this is happening in the world, that kids are, are dying from these, these ridiculous causes. And what it should really make you realize is about this whole idea of this war that's going on. There is a spiritual battle going on we can't see with our eyes. We're in the midst of a war. We get saved and put into the kingdom of God because there's a war going on. 
And too many Christians live like they're on vacation. There'll be a time to live like we're on vacation. But right now, lives hang in the balance. And it's clear throughout Scripture, Ephesians 6 says, we battle against principalities, against things we can't see, the wickedness in high places. It's dark. It's evil. There's nothing more evil than trafficking issues and these kinds of things we're talking about. And God gives you a kingdom assignment, a piece of the puzzle to help change the lives of people. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to go to Africa and save Africa. Right? About 150 million orphans in the world. If less than 7% of people who called themselves Christians did something, said, God, use me. Use me to do something. Less than 7%, there'd be no orphans in the world. There, it's not that this problem's too big. is that there are too few people engaged. Now, what's God calling you to do? What's he calling you to do? I want to show you this other video, and I want you to see the difference very, very clearly about what happens when people like you get engaged and what happens when they don't. This comes from the scripture um, Jesus talked about in John 10.10, where it says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and life abundantly. All this stuff is about the enemy, the devil, stealing, killing, and destroying the lives of people. Wiping them out, putting them in trafficking, for, forcing them to serve 30 men a day. That's wickedness, that's the devil. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and life abundant. How does that happen? It happens through people like you getting his heart. Getting his heart and seeing these issues of trafficking and poverty. I can't change the world, but I can do something to change the life of one. God, give me your spirit. God, show me. God, reveal it to me. And wherever you call me, I'll go. Watch this.
All right, here's what we're going to do. Um, I want to pray because I believe in a God that is moving and here and available to you and desires to speak to you about your role in these kinds of issues, number one. Number two, we're going to make this easy on you because we want this to be personal. Uh, we know, heart work knows, desperation knows that if this is just about, you guys did some incredible stuff with building orphanages, but if you can't own something, then it'll, it'll, it'll fade away. You know what I'm talking about? So we're going to give you opportunities to find girls, boys around the world, projects that you can literally own. What do I mean by that? Small projects. I mean, they're not, some of them you can choose which ones you want, but some of them, they don't cost much, but it becomes your project. It becomes your, your well that you're going you're gonna to drill. It becomes your, your little girl that you're helping to cover her school fees so she doesn't have to end up in situations like this. You can go visit her. You can, go, you can connect with them. You'll get letters. You'll get all kinds of stuff. It becomes your project. And so the Heartwork folks are, where are you guys? Up here. They're going to be right by the Heartwork banner that some of you may not see up here. And it doesn't matter how big, how small your youth group, you have a Sunday school, you just want you and a couple friends, they're going to tell you what projects they have in the area of providing clean water, helping with education. Do you know the number one way, people always ask me because, yes, we do brothel rescues with girls. We have rescue homes where girls who have been trafficked, they actually live in, it's a safe house, we're rehabilitating them. But do you know the best way to help a girl get out of, stay out of something like trafficking? Their prevention programs, and the number one way is through education. When I go to Afri- Africa and there's people who are starving everywhere, you ask them what their number one need is. You know what they say? It's not water. They don't say food. They said it's an education, because without an education, we're going to die anyway. But they have school fees that they have to pay, which is not very much, but they just don't, they don't have any money. We can connect you with kids who need school fees. And so they're going to tell you in all of these areas, education, trafficking issues, water, and food, how you can adopt and sponsor a project and literally change the lives of these kids. You can't change the world, but you can change the life of one. Then we are going to have at 4 o'clock, I don't want any of you guys to miss this, um, John Egan and I and, um, and, and, and David were talking about, you know, what can we do because we see so much when we go around, around these kinds of places that nobody's praying for girls who are trafficked. Nobody's engaged. There's no intercession going on. And so all the 4 o'clock is going to be about that. It's going to be about intercession. It's going to be about, about beating back the kingdom of darkness. It's going to be about engaging the war and doing something because prayer matters. And we're going to pray that God, you know, aligns our heart with the things that are on his heart and so that we can make a huge difference. So I want you to see the heart work, people. If you don't have five bucks, you only have two, three, or four dollars, I don't care. I want you to get the books more than anything, but that's all we've got, and then they're available at the bookstore. If I can help you, if any of us can help you, Hope Chess people can help you, go to the heart work village. Here's the other thing. The Heartwork Village, if you look at the auditorium, it's all the way around to the left. You can go through and experience what other kids are experiencing. You can see the impact of education. Go to the Heartwork Village if you don't have time to do it right now. But otherwise, come and find a project. So let's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray just for a few minutes. We've still got five minutes. And I want you to say, God, show me my role. Show me my role. I just got a letter from two little girls, nine and seven years old, who gave up all their Christmas presents, all their birthday presents, to keep a girl out of trafficking. And they're connecting with her, and they're writing to her, and they're making a huge difference in her life. Two little girls, nine and seven. If we had people who got that kind of heart, there'd be no trafficking issues. 
It's not too big for God. God just wants you. He wants your heart, first of all. And he wants to guide you and lead you to where he can help you. Austin Gutwein, another great story I love, was a kid your age. He was unathletic. He didn't know what to do but heard about this and started an organization shooting basketballs and had people pledge to go to African wells. He's raised millions of dollars. The name of his organization is called Hoops for Hope. He started it when he was in ninth grade. You can do it. What's God saying to you? Hear his voice and say, God, you know what? I'm going to make a real dangerous prayer. Whatever you speak to me, either right now or throughout that, this conference, I'll do it. Who, who would say that? You know what, God? You speak to me about what I can do. I'll do it. Raise your hand. Raise your hand just a sign saying, God, see me. In 2 Chronicles, it says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth, seeking whose heart is completely his, that he might show himself strong on their behalf. So let's pray. Father, this morning, see our hearts. See the hearts of people here at Desperation who love you, who are committed. God, we will do what you ask us to do. And though we might not fully know what that means, but what we do know is that you are a God who moves in might and in power. You are a God who speaks to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. You fill us with your Holy Spirit. And you give us the ability to do things that are way beyond our own ability to do. And it's not about what we can do, it's about what you can do. And God, what you're looking for is people to just say, you know what, God, I'll take a step in this direction. God, use me. You show me what to do to make an impact in your kingdom, this kingdom that's so valuable, that's so incredible, that changes everything and that goes forever and ever into eternity. God, I want to be a part of that. You show me what I can do, and I will do it. So Lord, speak individually to us. God, speak to me. I need to be renewed. I need to see your heart again, your vision again. God, speak to every person in this room. Lord, show them what you're calling them to do. Show them what their kingdom assignment is. And then give us the courage, Lord, to step out in faith and say, God, we'll follow you wherever you take us. We ask this all in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Hey, thanks for coming, guys. Love you. Have an awesome time of desperation. Come up here and meet with the heart work people. Find out a project you can connect with. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.